WBEW 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and we have on today's show representative and regular contributor, Emily Kornheiser. Hey, Emily. Good morning, Olga. And we will be talking about uh, a topic we have not touched on since COVID, the exciting world of cannabis. And we'll be speaking with David Mickenberg, who is a lobbyist in Montpelier with the, working right now with the Marijuana Policy Project. Welcome, David. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad you can make it. And then Representative Sam Young, who represents the Orleans Caledonia District. And glad to have you this morning, Sam. Good morning. So let's start with, because it's been a while since we've talked about cannabis. It's been COVID all the time lately here. Why is this something we should be talking about now? And and kind of like, where are we? There's been tons of bills, tons of conversations. We've been talking about this for years. Let's Let's help remind people like why this is important and and what's actually gone through the legislature at this point. Okay. Shall we start with you, Sam? <clears throat> uh, well, David was going to do a little historical context. I let him go first. Sure. Well, maybe I'll talk about Sam can talk about the why, and I can talk about where we are right now. Perfect. Um, for the last, you know, really for the last, uh, I'd say. Couple of, couple of decades, the Vermont legislature has been uh, grappling with the issues related to cannabis um, uh, legalization and cannabis policy broadly um, in a variety of different forms. Um, really started um, a couple of decades ago with a conversation about uh, medical cannabis, medical marijuana. And Vermont was one of the first, I believe the first state uh, in the country to, to pass through its legislature a medical cannabis bill. Uh, most, most of the legislation that has passed around the country, even today, uh, has been through ballot initiative. And um, I know there's a lot of folks in Vermont that say, why can't we just do this? Or why does this seem so hard? Well, as, as Emily and Sam know, the legislative, legislative process is slow and um, and on big issues like this can take quite some time. So there's been an evolution. So we started in Vermont with a, a medical cannabis bill that was um, essentially allowing folks for, med for medicinal purposes to possess and grow your own cannabis. Um, and that was on the books for quite some time and was a, was a struggle to get even there. Um, but for many, that was not a sufficient um, system uh, still required people to venture into the, to we'll call the illicit market to purchase cannabis if they were not going to be able to, um, if they were not going to be able to grow it their own. And also, it didn't provide the level of protections in terms of consumer protection for uh, for patients, knowing what you're getting, having a sufficient uh, variety of products and things like that. So the legislature um, about. I'd say about 10, 12 years ago, took action um, to create the medical dispensary system, um, which would establish medical dispensaries where patients could buy uh, cannabis um, and know that it had been sort of where it had been grown, the variety of products that had been tested and things like that. So um, that system currently exists. Um, from there, um, we in Vermont, uh, went on to decriminalize, one of the first states in the country to decriminalize cannabis through the, our legislature uh, in, in the recent history. Um, and that was in the face of um, the medical, both the medical dispensary and decriminalization in the face of, of Washington, which was very hostile, uh, uh, federal government hostile to cannabis policy in the states. Um, uh, and so then from there, we've been having this robust discussion over the last four or five years about uh, cannabis legalization. And Vermont did become the first state in the country to legalize cannabis for adults 21 and over. Um, again, we started sort of similar to how we did with the medical program. We started with a legalization regime, which allows you to grow your own and allows you to possess it legally uh, for people over the age of 21. So 
Um, that's kind of the current state of the law. We have medical cannabis decriminalization and, uh, and grow your own and personal possession. And over the last uh, number of years, three or four years, we've had uh, a number of bills um, <clears throat> debated in both bodies related to uh, uh, um, what some refer to as tax and regulate or adult, adult use or um, uh, retail sales of cannabis where non-medical patients like they have in about 11 other states, uh, Massachusetts being our closest right off, right down, the, down the, the road from you all, where adults uh, who are not there for medical purposes can uh, 21 and over uh, go and purchase cannabis um, uh, as they would purchase uh, uh, many other uh, types of substances legally uh, through a system that is highly regulated uh, for consumer protection. And, um, and so that bill, uh, fast forwarding um, to, to, current, uh, to, to the current state of affairs, uh, a bill S-54 uh, was passed by the Senate uh, in 2019, um, went through the legislative process in the House through a variety of committees. I think, I don't know, Emily or Sam, you might know, something like 10 or 11 committees touched the bill at some point, almost every committee. Almost, almost every the, committee, yeah. Yeah, virtually every committee in the legislature has looked at this bill, uh, passed the Senate with overwhelming support, and just this past spring passed the House again, with really strong support somewhere in the 90s, 92, 93, something like that. Uh, tripartisan support, Republicans, progressives, Democrats, independents, all supporting it. Um, and where the bill is now is uh, in what we, we refer to as a conference committee, uh, which is where the two bodies reconcile their differences. So that's kind of the current state, of, the history and the current state of affairs. And I'll, I'll pause there. Thanks, David. Uh, one quick question, just for my own education. When you were talking about when Vermont passed, um, the adults over 21 can can possess plants and, and grow their own. You said we were the first in the nation. I thought Colorado. So we were the first, we were the first legislature ah, to, pa to pass a legalization bill um, for adult possession, non-medical. Uh, Illinois sort of leapfrogged us because Illinois went on through their legislature to pass a tax and regulate bill and became the first state in the country to pass a full system, a robust system of regulation of cannabis sales, uh, creating an industry which uh, lasts, the numbers just came out, there's been hundreds of millions of dollars in sale in, in, in Illinois. Um, and I think $52 million in revenue in the last quarter or something like that for the state of Illinois. But Colorado was by referendum like Washington, California, Nevada, uh, many of the other states is done by referendum. So Massachusetts too. Yeah. Massachusetts as well, right? Thank you for that clarification. Appreciate it. Sure. And so right now uh, the bill is in conference committee. So you know, with this kind of topsy-turvy legislative session we've had, what's what's next for this bill? Do you think we'll see anything pass this year? Or what's, what are some of the details that still need to be hashed out? That's probably even the better question. Sam, you want to take that? Sure. Well, sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really know uh, uh, where, where it's at, ex except that I mean, the conference committee is important because we really, there's been a ton of work. We got it through all stages of passage and it's just this kind of last little negotiation that needs to happen. Um, the last thing that we did before we left the state house um, was the speaker appointed the conferees for the house, but in the three months since then, they've never met um, to discuss the bill bet between the house and the Senate. So, um, I mean, granted, there was a, you know a global pandemic on, so we had some other things to take care of. But it's it would seem like it should be easy enough to meet and iron out those differences. Um, the the Senate kind of did like more of a, a bare bones bill, and the and the House filled in a lot of different policy details. And I would say that the one other 
the differences between the House and Senate, I think, should be pretty easy to negotiate. Um, the 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 one that I think is the sticking point is that the governor is still wants um, warrantless collection of bodily fluids, and we had a vote on that in the House, and uh, we did not we did not support that. Um, they I thought there was a pretty good system to you know if somebody was intoxicated that you could get a warrant for their bodily fluids, but you need to have some process around that that is not just like the willy-nilly collection of uh, just anybody the, the police thinks that like, oh yeah, we want to check you and you and just like without any real process around it. So that one is actually, you know, even if we get the House and Senate to agree on everything else, that's the one between the, the governor and the legislature that's probably going to be the last sticking point. And I don't think that we would have the votes for a veto override on on um, this bill. We were, we were around 90, I think. Uh, votes for it, but uh, not not that magic hundred. And that's been a sticking point for a while for the governor about safety and traffic and yeah. driving while impaired. Um, that's that's true, and and you know we we did have the I mean the committees looked at it, and he he wasn't so specific until the very end where he oh no a warrant was too far, um, you know we couldn't possibly have due process. Um, <laughs> so. I know. And given the, the way. you know, given the conversations that we're having nationally and within Vermont about racial justice and especially criminal justice reform, and we know about the history of the war on drugs having a disproportionate impact on communities of color, it seems you know now more than ever we want to make sure that we're not passing new legislation that will increase bias in mm -hmm. policing. Um, and so the more we can add checks and balances into that system, the better, especially given um, this particular topic's weightiness around communities of color. I think Vermont's had a pretty good history on that particular issue when we look at cannabis reform. Um, you know, expungements, expungement was paired with decriminalization. Was that right, David? Or yeah. I mean, the one after that. Yeah, there's been, there's been an expungement process, although there's also a separate bill, which um, actually during the, 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 the Zoom session, what I'm calling the Zoom session after we left, uh, passed the Senate and is now waiting action in the House to do an automatic expungement, which would be for uh, cannabis as well. Um, they sort of figured out how to do that without overwhelming the system uh, sort of logistically. Um, so we're really encouraged and think that, that that bill would really pair well with, um, with S54 in, in, and, and all of the components of S54, which help to address uh, the social equity parts of, um, of cannabis and the cannabis industry. So. And, let, and, and let's go back all the way to the beginning and remember that uh, marijuana criminalization was a racist law to begin with. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. 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 I just, oh, sorry. Oh, I was Go just going to say, if one of you could remind us, uh, because the legislature did try very hard to make sure there was some social equity in that bill, could, could you just remind us, one of you, what, what some of those points were, those actions taken? Sure. I can I take a quick stab um, at that and, and others can fill in, but uh, one of the most important pieces in the bill um, is prioritization uh, for licensing. So for who gets the licensing and there's specific prioritization in the bill for, uh, for, for people of color, uh, women and those who have been historically impacted uh, disproportionately by the war on drugs. So at the very outset, uh, that is gonna, that must be a consideration Taken by the taken in by the board uh, as they look at at the licensing uh, process. There's also other provisions about technical assistance um, for those that have been impacted uh, by the war on drugs. Um, and I think uh, I think frankly um, the piece and the, a big emphasis and what the house did uh, was emphasize uh, small growers and uh, facilitating. Um, small growers participation in the market. Um, 
And uh, what, what makes uh, the ability of folks that have historically been unable to access credit and things like that, um, the barrier to entries are very high sometimes for, um, for the cannabis industry uh, to, you know, buy a grow shop or uh, buy, a, buy a, 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 a grow facility um, to be able to staff up all those things. So the emphasis on small growing and in the bill, the house bill, um, they uh, limited, uh, they defined small growers as a thousand square feet um, or, uh, or less. So I think that's another piece while not specifically related uh, to people of color um, really is a, uh, what we've seen in other states, the barrier to entry is difficult and that will uh, um, sort of lessen the barrier to entry by emphasizing a small grower community of as many folks uh, as possible. So those are a couple of the provisions. I was really particularly excited about those provisions because I think they're great um, examples of things we can do in other legislation as well that's not related to cannabis around um, economic equity for historically marginalized populations. The access to capital, I think, is really important for people to understand that because cannabis is still illegal nationally, um, traditional sort of loan mechanisms through banks are not available. And so populations that have access to family funds, friends funds, um, social networks where money flows more easily are much, have a much easier time accessing the industry and ownership structures um, can sort of easily be um, turned over to folks with capital. And so we did so a lot in this bill to both ease access to entry with these smaller growers and then make sure that ownership um, stays very closely regulated. There was one other piece that David didn't mention, which was uh, it's not a because you have a low level drug offense necessarily on your record. We did not disqualify you from participating in the industry, which was something that happened in other states initially. And um, it's you know if we're if we're saying that this should be legal, we shouldn't actually also disqualify you from the industry because you knew that it should be legal before the legislature did. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and one, one point that's sort of, um, I think, sort of tangential to the bill, but also relates to what we're talking about here is, um, does the current system, what does the current system do in terms of racial equity and gender equity? And, it, and, I, and right now, sort of, um, in our current system of, of decriminalized cannabis in Vermont, um, and people growing at home, because of the historical targeting of people of color, um, uh, that system is not conducive to uh, for a lot of a lot of folks. And the fear associated with growing your own cannabis or things like that, fearing a police interaction, is really problematic. So, uh, in and of itself, the creation of a regulated marketplace. And yes, we need. To be able, folks need to be able to access capital and be able to get licenses and all those things. But the creation in and of itself of a regulated marketplace, I think, goes a long way of, of really taking away many of the problems associated with the war on drugs, the war on uh, people of color through the war on drugs. And, and can, the war on cannabis has really been the, the tip of the spear of the war on, um, of the war on drugs. And I think, um, I think all of the provisions, and there may be more provisions that are put in through the conference committee or negotiated through the conference committee, we'll see. But, um, but certainly the creation of the system itself, I think goes a long way of, of helping to reduce police interactions, helping to reduce the historical targeting of communities of color, so. Thanks. I one piece of that that I've been emphasizing when I talk to folks in Wyndham County who, um, really want to stick to grow your own is that that really prioritizes folks who own their own home because growing your own in a rental is very iffy in the best of times especially if you're in subsidized housing in some way and so we know that white people are much more likely to own their own home because of redlining because of you know generational wealth accumulation etc and so 
again, that's prioritize, you know, this is making, without this, we're creating a system that's really much more available for white people. Thank you, Emily. Sam, uh, did you want to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that I, I found it interesting. I stopped by the uh, the dispensary in down in Northampton. And what do you have down there? You have the police directing traffic to make sure everybody can park in an orderly way. And I, and I think that's a more appropriate role for them. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the so, other thing. Oh, go sorry, ahead, Olga. Emily. No, go ahead. Um, and maybe we're about to go to a break, and this is a more appropriate conversation for after a break. I want to talk about revenue and um, what that means post-COVID, as well as um, if we really want to transition people into a legal marketplace, um, what prices need to look like to do that well. Mm -hmm. Well, and just quickly, we do have uh, a few minutes before we go to break. I was curious, too, um, what has the legislation done around infrastructure? Because I know talking to some, we have a, a few processors down in this neck of the woods, you know, there's still a lot of infrastructure that's missing around, yes, people can grow, but is there enough processors? Are there enough testing labs? Are there enough, those kind of support infrastructures? Does this legislation touch on that at all as far as access to capital and and putting in those other kind of pieces of infrastructure? Not necessarily access to capital, but what it does do is it creates uh, licensed categories, which would allow people to be product manufacturers, so processors, testing labs, wholesalers, uh, cultivators, retail outlets. So it creates, um, because currently, um, if you were a processor now, um, if this bill were to pass and to become law, you would have to, you couldn't just, uh, you couldn't just start processing cannabis. Um, really the processors that are, uh, that are in Vermont are really processing for hemp uh, and for CBD. So um, you would have the infrastructure built up, but you would have to then go through the licensing process uh, through the cannabis board to get a new license. So uh, the bill does contemplate having that infrastructure in place. It will just be created through this new, um, through this new legal regime and regulatory regime. And and it's a it's a staged rollout so that uh, you know the the labs come online, the uh, the gr the growers start before the you know, and then and then the retail sales pieces uh, happen after that. And it's also kind of in the bill that you could only have uh, one license of each category. Um, and the, the current um, dispensaries would be considered if they, if they have each one of those functions could have one kind of integrated license, but only one for each category. And that's kind of to pr protect against mon uh, like a monopoly or a- Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have the, the Starbucks of of, of cannabis all around the state. Fantastic, thank you. So stay tuned with us. We are going to hear from some of our underwriters in a second here on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM. But in the meantime, when we come back, uh, Emily, David, Sam, and I will be talking about revenue related to cannabis and how that could be. Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I am speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser, David Mickenberg, who is a lobbyist working with the Marijuana Policy Project in Montpelier, as well as Representative Sam Young, and we are talking about cannabis and, as I always must say, the views and opinions expressed by the host and the guests of this show are our opinions and not those of the radio station. So in other words, if you want to send an angry letters, you send them to us and not WVEW. Um, so, you know, Sam, I, I had to smile when you said you went down to Northampton lately um, and passed the dispensary because I get my hair cut in Northampton. And so it's like on those Saturdays when I'm getting my hair cut, the line of traffic 
and the line of people lined up at the dispensary on, I think it's Con Street, um, always amazes me. And yes, the police do a very good job there of directing the traffic. And, um, but it makes me wonder, you know, watching Massachusetts, our neighbor, tax and regulate uh, cannabis, are there any lessons learned from that or, or are we seeing any, any trends that were like, yes, we definitely, this, this really solidifies why we want to move towards a tax and regulate system. Well, it's interesting. I don't want to, um, before we answer that question, I want to sort of highlight that it doesn't always look like Northampton. So last summer when, um, we were sort of halfway through the debate in the house around cannabis legislation, I wanted to get my head around what this actually looked like. And so I took a little, and I don't smoke. It's just not, I prefer alcohol as we've talked about on the happy hour before, <laughs> um, but went on a little field trip. And so I checked out the dispensary in Greenfield and one in the Berkshires and went to the one in Northampton. And um, they're all very, very different and have a very different vibe. That's very sort of fitting with their community. Um, and so Northampton's was the only one that I went to that seemed to have a line of out-of-state cars, um, seemed to have that like really urgent vibe, whereas the one in Greenfield is just like, you know, sleepy Greenfield style on a back street and, you know, you walk in and it's fairly empty and the one in the Berkshires had like more of a little hippie vibe and um, they're very fitted to each of their communities, even though, you know, each one has, you know, a very intact security system. Each one has a clear variety of, you know, options that you get to choose. Um, you need to show ID at each of them. So that was really interesting to me that even within this very strict regulatory regime, you could still have the sort of retail flavor that someone wanted to pass on. Some of them felt much more pharmaceutical. Some of them felt much more sort of hip lab kind of, um, Apple store kind of thing. <clears throat> Thank you, Emily. Because yeah. that is a lot of concern we hear from our local communities is what, mm -hmm. what would this do to our community? And do we even want to grant licenses mm -hmm. within our, within our town? So, and one sort of detail of the, um, the sort of way the regulation is paired to size is that in some universe, we could imagine sort of a farm stand that's regulated, um, tightly enough to allow this, which I could see to be a very sort of Brattleboro, Westminster kind of thing to do. Sam, did you want to add something? I think Sam wants to make fun of Brattleboro now. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> no, I'm, I would never do such a thing. Maybe I'm going to run statewide someday, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> thinking ahead, thinking ahead. <laughs> what a lovely community you have there. <laughs> we are unique. We are unique. I, I, oh, sorry, Sandy, were you going to jump no, in? No, go for it. Okay. I was going to say, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting to see the, the sort of variety of different retail outlets and the variety of products that are being uh, manufactured. And, and, um, and Massachusetts has had its ups and downs in terms of certainly around social equity licensing and um, getting um, communities on board uh, quick enough. So there hasn't been enough licenses out there. But one thing that carries throughout um, all of these dispensaries is that there is a robust reg uh, regulatory regime and it really is focused on the safety of the consumers. So I just saw recently the, the Cannabis Control Commission in Massachusetts find uh, one uh, producer for, I believe using pesticides of some sort um, but right now, I mean, Vermont has a market. We have a robust cannabis market. It's just not a regulated market. Hundreds of millions of dollars of sales. The, the RAND report a couple of years ago estimated our uh, cannabis market to be around $250 million, something like that. Um, but unlike Massachusetts, uh, if you're not growing your own cannabis, then you're acquiring it illicitly and illegally, and most importantly, in an unregulated manner. So you have no idea um, uh, what's on it, uh, what it's been grown in, all of those things. And so the story of Massachusetts, I think, right in our back door is a story of consumer protection uh, first and foremost, um, and really being able to 
uh, has a system that, um, that says that when you go to a dispensary to the greatest extent possible, you're gonna um, be protected from, uh, from, from unhealthy uh, types of additives and things like that. And if it's not happening, that there's a regulatory regime in place to make sure that it does. So um, I sort of want to get out of the mentality that Vermont's creating an industry. An industry exists. We are bringing that industry into the sort of light of, of the law and regulation, which some people may not want. And, and, and I, I understand that. But for the vast majority of consumers, uh, that is really important. So I was one. Um in more private conversations with colleagues in my caucus, um, I started to joke that the debate in the house had really come down to people who realized that everyone in Vermont is high all the time. And the, those of us, <laughs> those who don't, um, which was really just the joking way of saying that we have a very, very robust network of growing and selling throughout the state that um, doesn't have the environmental regulations tied to it and doesn't um, have the safety regulations tied to it. Yeah. And it is, Vermont actually does have the highest use per capita of any state in the nation, just, just like just under Colorado's, but that's always been kind of this kind of, and you know, that's the kind of, I mean, yes, it's not illegal anymore, but you know, when you have 20% of the population doing something on a regular basis, doesn't that kind of warrant that it, like it, it's more mainstream than, than uh, um, it, it, it's, it's not an outlier anymore. It's, it's mainstream. Yeah. I mean, there has been opinion, poll, opinion polling after opinion polling, both in Vermont and um, nationally, that has shown that the that a really strong majority of of both Vermonters and Americans now support the full legalization of cannabis, and it's and it's it's really one of the very rare bipartisan issues um, across the country. So. Um, blue states, red states, purple states, there's really strong support for, for ending this really failed policy of, of criminalization of cannabis. So when I think about us actually finishing this, this biennium and not having to start again from scratch next biennium, um, we have some period of time in August and September, we don't really know how, how long that period of time is perhaps there are people who do, um, that we're gonna pass, we're gonna focus on the budget and we're gonna pass just a few bills. And so when I think about what would help this legislation get to the top of that list, um, for me, the first thing is revenue that we're about to enter a period of some serious challenges with our budget. Um, and so, that's really exciting. And then I also, when I first entered this debate was really concerned um, about communities hopes for how much money would come pouring in and how much money we're actually talking about here. Yeah. And so I wonder if we could unpack why it's not as much magical money as we imagine it to be. I, I, I pulled up the, uh, um, the numbers from the joint fiscal office just to remind myself what, um, how much money we're talking about. And, and of course this was, you know, assuming that this bill passed in July and that, you know, there's this, it takes a while to get the con cannabis control board up and running and the regulations, but this was talking about, you know, <clears throat> in the first year, there's, a, there's like low, middle and high ranges, but in the first year, like the high range of revenue was, which was fiscal year 21 was going to be uh, $300,000. Uh, $300, year two, high, 3.4 to, to $6.5 million. Uh, year, year three, um, 5.6 to 10.6. And like year four, which is kind of like, if you look at other states, it's kind of fully developed market, the, the range being uh, 7.3 to 13.9. And that's the that's the total, um, and then it, the way that uh, it got 
broken down in the bill was that 30% of the revenues would go towards a prevention fund or a prevention treatment fund. And so basically a hunk of the revenue would be broken off for that use. Um, and then just, I mean, there's a, there's a cost to setting up the, the regulatory structure, making sure that we, you know, have the lab to test the, um, test products. And so all of that costs money. And there's actually, in the end of it, there's not really that much left over. Um, it is, yeah, there is some, and, and you don't know until you do it, there definitely will be some money available, but it's not like, I know I hear people saying, oh, we could, you know, we could just reduce property taxes by it. It's just not that kind of money. Yeah. It's not 1.6 billion. <laughs> right. I do. I do. I, I agree that um, it's not going to bail out our, our budget deficit of whatever, two, three hundred million dollars. Um, there will be money. And I, th and I do think those estimates were conservative based on the experience in other states. Um, um, and it somewhat depends on what happens. Are we going to have tourism in Vermont again? Is that, you know, that's, that, that's could be a big part of, of, of the sales, but the, but there's one piece, um, that's not reflected in, um, in that, that in the fiscal note, which is really the economic activity associated with creating this industry. And it doesn't account sure. for, um, you know, the, the number of new businesses, the number, and not even plant touching businesses, security firms, real estate companies, um, construction, uh, soil companies, lighting companies, um, because, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of regulation associated with this, there's going to be a lot of needs. And I think um, that there's going to be economic activity generated as a result of this industry that's not going to be reflected in the numbers of in revenue and it will lead to more revenue more jobs i mean here we are safest state in the or second safest state vis-a-vis -vis covid trying to attract sort of new businesses and new industries here this is an opportunity for a young new business uh, or new um, part of our economy to really grow in actually places like where sam sam uh, lives, you know, the idea of having sort of the Vermont, uh, the Vermont brand being in beautiful places uh, up in the country where, where this plant is being grown, I think is exciting for a lot of people. So I don't think those revenue, those revenue numbers, I think are one conservative, but also, um, even if they're not, I think the economic gain is going to be uh, quite significant. And I don't, I don't hear of any other uh, discussion in the legislature about um, the creation of a of an industry like this. So um, I'm hopeful that there's going to be a certainly a, a really positive benefit economically from this bill. What I appreciate about thinking about a Vermont cannabis industry and um, tourism is that often, and we talk about this quite a bit on Montpelier Happy Hour, tourism jobs um, are rarely living wage jobs. And the cannabis industry, from what I understand for how we were sort of prioritizing um, regulation and licensing is we're looking at living wage jobs here. And so when I think about Vermont branded cannabis, um, like Vermont branded beer and all of Vermont branded cheese and all of the magic that seems to create in the national imagination. Um, it has a lot of opportunities for jobs that are more just than some of the other jobs that we have in sort of our tourism necks of the woods. Um, I also want to name that if one of our policy goals here is to move the black market out into the light that we can't tax it to death. Um, we need to make sure that prices in the regulated market are um, on par with prices in the black market. And that's a difficult thing to do. What, one last thing on revenue. Um, so it's the revenue numbers uh, that were, that Sam was referring to, because cannabis is illegal federally, only focus on in-state sales, whether it's people coming here to stay here and buying or Vermont residents. I think Vermont needs to look beyond um, start thinking about this industry beyond in-state sales when uh, federal legalization happens, which some would say could be as soon as uh, a presidential election change or 
within a few years after that, creating this type of system that we uh, that Emily just described so that our brand can be exported once it's legal to do so, our brand can be exported out of state. And I think when that happens, we will see those revenue numbers, frankly, explode as we have for our amazing cheese and our beer and our spirits and other things. So, uh, and, and it's also really important to set that up now so mm -hmm. that we have a robust industry here that's even, I mean, it can be all of the things that we want. It can be small scale. It can be, you know, focused on the community. But as soon as it happens federally, we'll, Vermont will be awash in product from other states. You can't stop commerce from going across state lines. Mm -hmm. And we also, so, you know, the, now is the time that we have to establish a brand and get, you know, um, get our products together so that then we'll be ready when a federal legalization happens and it can um, go, we'll be, it can go in two directions, not just one. And y'all might not know this, but down here, um, we have a very um, intense local beer um, rush that happens on the weekends where beers that are only available within Vermont borders, um, there's a whole network of folks in Massachusetts and New York that seem to know the delivery schedule at our local stores for those beers and come and buy cases and cases individually mm -hmm. to bring back to their communities. It's um, very strange to watch. And I don't think it happens in other parts of the state, um, but- we have a we have, have a similar some... thing in Greensboro okay. because okay. of Hill Farmstead being here. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, and, and now it's just cars lined up on the road mm -hmm. because they, he's basically shut it down to nobody's going in anymore. And so there's just this line of cars on the road and people getting beer put in their trunks. <laughs> and so I think that kind of um, sort of baby step is a really helpful way of building brand recognition because it excites people so that when, um, national legalization takes place we are sort of positioned through those like whisper networks of you know food trends mm -hmm. the experience of vermont not just the brand exactly. people actually want to come and bring back um so i'm curious we we talked a little bit about how the governor has had his reservations around legal uh creating a, a tax and regulate system um, but I'm curious because it so often feels like Groundhog Day when when we're talking about cannabis legislation. Are there other things that people are getting hung up with, which is why this this legislation hasn't moved forward sooner? Or is it just it's taking the time it needs to take? Who wants to jump on that grenade? <laughs> I mean, I will. It's you know, it's it's also it's it's been very difficult also with the Speaker of the House. Um, and honestly, people who support cannabis legalization could give the Speaker's office a call. And you know, just reminder that it's uh, it's the bill is still there, and they'd like to see it passed this year. Because even if we pass it now, we're still talking about a year and a half to two years before we have like open stores that we can go into and purchase cannabis. Um, so it's not like there's no there's no rush on this, but it has been very difficult every step of the way to uh, get over the speaker's reservation. So it's not just the governor um, that has been uh, it's been difficult to. Um, but you know, here's the thing: we've gone through all of all of the committees, we've been through all of the process, we've done the work, we've we've actually cleared all of those reservations. We've got 90 votes in the House. And um, it would be absolutely ridiculous to go through all of that work over again. And then it truly would be Groundhog Day. I mean, I remember when I first got to the House 10 years ago, we couldn't even talk about decriminalization. Like that was a bridge too far. And so it's, it is like incremental each time we, you know, we, we, we take, another, take another bite at it. I mean, we had to pass, the, the legalization bill that we did um, so that people could grow their own. It was actually, it's a, it was part of a two-step two process of, because there was a bunch of people in the house that that's all they would vote for. But then as 
you had to do that in order so you could get people on board with full legalization because then they would there was this whole other group of people that would say well now that it's legal i definitely want to tax it um so that's how we've actually kind of built the coalition to get up to you know the number of votes that we have now and a couple of election cycles um where some where we kind of changed over the makeup of the body was was required we had to we had to have a lot of retirements before we could actually get the votes in the house I think some of the the louder reservations that were in the house were about people who didn't seem to fully understand that it's already legal. Um, who, when we were having debates, were debating, you know, the harm to the teenage brain or um, the sort of challenges around, you know, intoxication generally, and seemed to. Um, and sort of slowly their voices were whittled down around a conversation of this is already legal. This is already legal. We are not debating legalization. We are debating regulation. And so it's hard to believe that there is still, um, that there are still reservations about this. I mean, I've, 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 I, I agree. There've been many hurdles that we've had to overcome to get to this point. Um, and I also think it would be really, uh, a shame if we didn't just resolve the differences between the body, negotiate with the governor and, and get this, this moving. Um, I've been encouraged, I guess, by, um, by comments by the speaker and the majority leader to say that this is gonna be something in August that's going to be looked at and, and taken up. I mean, it's very rare to get a bill all the way to conference committee, a bill that both bodies like overwhelmingly support and have the bill just languish there, particularly even if it provided $1 million of new revenue. Well, that's a million dollars. I mean, when we go through the budget and you know, the end of the session and looking at, you know, we're talking $50,000, $100,000 for this program or that program. Well, that's, that's much needed revenue. Uh, and then more broadly, it's just really this moment as we were talking about earlier, this moment in time as we're having this really intense and important and essential examination of, uh, of, of criminal justice and, and criminal justice policy. Well, this is totally integrated into that. And um, I think uh, I'm hoping that uh, we can come back in August and see this through that lens as well. Uh, it's always been that, it's just now those other issues have, have, have made it to the national forefront of discussion or the, even the state the, to the to the front of our discussions and to appreciate that when we talk about the war on drugs uh, and the war on cannabis, it's a war on people of color and uh, and poor people. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to remain. Maybe I'm Pollyannish, but I'm trying to remain hopeful that um, that after all this work and after we start to appreciate how tied into all these really important issues this issue is that the that the legislature will come to some resolution, but that won't happen. And just a little sort of plug here for citizen action, that won't happen unless people are pushing their state reps and their senators and the speaker and the governor and the pro tem to really move this and prioritize this. Cause there's are, there are a lot of other competing priorities. COVID-19 is huge, all the economic impacts, things like that, but, um, this is so close in the process that to, to not have this uh, get over the finish line would be a real shame. But people, are, people should contact their, their reps and their senators and community leaders and others to really say, this is an important part of the, the overall picture of our state and we should move forward. But you, you don't have to call, me? I was gonna say, you don't have to call Emily because we all know she, she supported it. That's right. she is. She said, many conversations even, with her neighbors but, about it. But to that point, even calling your rep, let's say you have a rep that you know is supportive. Well, they may be supportive and voted for it, but they may not be telling the leadership team or the speaker, mm -hmm. this is a priority for mine in August. And yes. I think we need to get to the point where some of the advocacy comes from the body where we where yeah. representatives that start to appreciate, this is an important issue mm -hmm for our body, we voted on it. We've already taken the hard votes and done all the hard work. We wanna see it through. So it's, it's both citizens talking, you know, Vermonters talking to their reps, but then the reps also talking to the leadership 
uh, of their body, the Senate or the House, um, to say this is a priority for us. So, and can you good idea, David, on the um, conference committee? Because I what's that? on the conference committee, I think it's we have some folks from Wyndham County. So we have John Gannon on the conference committee, um, yeah. rep from Wilmington, and we have Jeanette, Senator Jeanette White on the conference committee, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. yep. Who else is on there? Um, uh, Representative LeClaire uh, from Barrie and uh, Representative Ansel from Callis. And um, in the Senate, it's uh, Senator Sears, Senator White, and I believe Senator Benning. So, yeah. We are just out of time. So we should sign off. I want to thank Representative Sam Young, David Mickenberg, and uh, Representative Emily Kornheiser for being on the show today. Emily, do you have a quick toast? If not, I do. So we always like to toast at the end of the happy hour. And so I want to toast you for joining us at this early hour. Thank you. And I also want to toast to baby steps, because even though they're frustrating, I think some very smart decisions have been made around legalization and regulation around cannabis through all these years of kind of getting it right and getting it right again. So here's to baby steps. Cheers. I am Cheers. for mentalism. I never thought that would happen. But <laughs> You're like a full-fledged legislator now. Oh my Emily. gosh. This is terrible. <laughs> So the Montpelier Happy Hour can be found every Friday at 2 on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, as well as our Vermontitude SoundCloud page, our Vermontitude Facebook page. And Emily, just quickly, where can people find you if they have questions? EmilyKornheiser.org, eKornheiser at gmail.com, eKornheiser at ledge.state.vt.us. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we are restarting our community Zoom conversations every Saturday in a couple weeks. And I will post about that on Front Porch Forum, as well as all the other places I just listed. Hope to see you out in public someday in the future. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.